Hi investors, this is Danny with Investorly. At Investorly, we empower you to invest early in your financial future. Today's podcast is brought to you by Alts, a newsletter with unique investment ideas worth exploring. Sign up today at alts.co. In episode 10 of A Conversation With, we welcome Max Scruffer, a crypto investor and consultant. We learn about his macro approach as a long-term investor, his beginnings as a consultant to various crypto projects, and his take on NFTs. To stay informed of upcoming episodes and receive our insightful weekly newsletter, subscribe at investorly.substack.com. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Tell us about your one of your very first investments and uh, how you got started in investment investing. Yeah, um, so I, I did a did an interview actually a couple of weeks ago that kind of explained how I got into crypto, but I think it's going to be more apparent here if, if we're just talking about investments. I think my first major investments or really how I got started was actually in crypto um, back in 2016. I was doing a lot of research on uh, right after the launch of Ethereum, um, looking at major protocols. I mean, back then it was really not much. I mean, that was like the introduction of what smart contracts could really do. Um, I really didn't get into Ethereum until midway through 2017. I think the price was around like 50 or $60. And uh you know, at that point, I was just kind of looking at the implement, uh, like what smart contracts could really do to the real world. And that's kind of where I based all my investment thesis is off is, you know, how can we connect crypto to traditional enterprise? And this allowed me to kind of build this own narrative in my head and build these long term investments. And, you know, as, as ETH was kind of my honestly, my first real investment ever, you know, even in talking about trade fight, and this was around uh, 2016, 2017, I was 20 years old, I believe 21. Um, but my, uh, you know, my first big investment actually was Chainlink right after the ICO phase in October of 2017. Um, I, you know, actually just doing a ton of research, about the protocol, how it can interact with smart contracts, you know, how does ETH become involved and the, the idea of something being blockchain agnostic, we didn't really have a lot of layer ones back then. It was kind of just like the the coming up of, uh, of what they called Ethereum killers like uh, ICX and a bunch of others that actually never really came to fruition. Um, but it was uh, it was an exciting time. And that kind of led me on this journey to where I am now of just kind of doing research, um, you know, and uh, Chainlink was kind of my first big investment based on that. I, I knew you were a, a, a Link Marine, but I didn't know you were one of the first Link Marines to be recruited. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, that takes me to, to my next question. Is there, um, what are you kind of self-taught? Was there a mentor? Was there somebody kind of guiding you uh, to make your, your first couple initial investments? And and also, uh, if if there was a mentor, like, how did you how did you build the capital to feel comfortable to begin investing? Yeah. Um, so back 2016, 2017, there was, it was kind of just me self-taught. Um, I was, you know, very early new investor. I still was fluctuating based on emotions a lot of the time. I think, you know, the one person who did help me a lot managing emotions and understanding how to build a narrative and a long-term investment was this guy named BitAdvisor. Um, also goes by Ethan personally. I knew him for years prior and he got me into a few groups and meeting people, um, and it kind of got me into understanding what crypto really is as an investment thesis. Um, but so he he really didn't teach me all about researching. That kind of led me on my own drive and taught myself how to you know build my own narrative. But he, he taught me to understand the importance of not folding under price action and holding that conviction really close to you. 
Um, because the typical PA right in the moment really doesn't mean anything, uh, especially if you have a conviction of a project that you want to hold for five to 10 years, any, any price fluctuations in the, in the moment really mean nothing. It's all about the fundamentals and building that building onto it as the, as time goes on and does, do the fundamentals change or, or do they keep improving over time? I think is the big thing that I was taught there. You asked me about capital, and back then, when I was 21, I really didn't have a whole lot of capital, somewhere in the four or five digits area. But uh, I, I rely a lot on risk tolerance. So, you know, when you're 20, 21, I kind of live by the quote of, you really can risk everything and have minimal downside. So if you look at your situation, and especially being that young, the worst downside is I lost everything, and then I would keep leaving, losing, uh, keep keep living with my parents. You know, there's zero risk there. I think the biggest risk for me back then was taking no risk at all, and that was kind of the narrative that I drove in my head to produce and put most of my capital into Chainlink and Ethereum back then, and just hold it with zero regrets and all conviction. Tell us about your background before you got into investing and how and. Not only like, you know, you obviously were, you were attracted to Ethereum, you were attracted to smart contracts and how that could be used for the kind of uh, real world data. Um, but what initially drew you to that? You know, do you have a background in um, computer science? Uh, what kind of uh, degree do you have? And do you have, is it more a traditional degree or uh, what initially led you to that? When I was 2021, 20, I really didn't have a full background in what I was doing. I was uh, I took a few years off college uh, when I graduated high school in 2014, and I was running my own business for a bit. That ended up failing. Uh, I ended up moving, and you know I, I kind of was just playing around with what crypto was. I had, I had a you know a good idea of what crypto Bitcoin back in 2010, you know, kind of was following the industry up until then, but I didn't really get that conviction until that era. And it was more just like how businesses could use smart contracts, never really in the financial investment realm. But as, uh, as we progress into now, um, I'm actually just finishing up my undergrad at Keenan Flagler uh, in business and finance. Um, and that's, uh, that's at UNC for anyone wondering. Um, and my background is a lot more investment thesis and financial based compared to what it was when I was first kind of putting capital into the crypto markets. Um, so the, the the transitionary period for me actually helped a lot because I, as I started developing a better business and financial acumen, um, I was able to really put more financial and business models to use in my uh, in my narrative building and how I wanted to tweet and how I wanted to research. And you know, I I think the the whole point here is it, you can really get into investing into the weeds of things and researching without any background into it and you can kind of just you know connect it to what you already know learn more things and uh try to get more involved and you know having a background definitely is is beneficial because it can allow you to apply concepts you weren't previously aware of but it's something that really anyone can do. You know, you can learn business anywhere at this point and you can learn and develop your own acumen and, and different literacy and, you know, everything can be applied to, to what you're doing with investments. So, you know, round, roundabout answer there. But yeah, the, the, the initial period was really no background other than failed business. Uh, okay, so I want to I want to take over. I have a couple questions now. Uh, Danny, thanks for getting us started. And, and so, Max, you've, you've stressed in pretty much each answer so far research and how important that is. And because we are investorly and we're empowering the community to invest early, can we dive into the research aspect? When you say, uh, you know, you can look anywhere for information these days and now you've gone through schooling and you're 
you're finishing up your undergrad. Talk to us about the, the differences in your research from before you went to school and how that's evolved. And also nowadays where people may look to find the best research in your opinion. Yeah. So um, at the start back then, my research was kind of just understanding the space. I think building a foundation was much more important to me than anything else. So I was kind of building my foundation, what crypto was and how it could be used and building my own narratives based on what I knew about real life. Um, I strayed away from really, really looking at like people calling stuff and kind of just looking at, you know, what what is technical analysis how it could be used i did have a little bit of an econ background back then but very minimal so you know how, how does macro and the micro uh supply and demand and you know macro fed policies apply to crypto markets um you know understanding what ethereum what bitcoin is what a layer two solution is kind of just all foundation basis and then applying that and slowly learning more about various protocols like Chainlink. now I'm much more on a uh, on an independent scale of having just a huge foundation and everything. I understand how mostly everything works, financial backing, econ- economics backing, understanding business. But now I kind of look at it more of as a VC side, and I think that's kind of where this progression has started to get much more valuable. Um, now I kind of build my own razor briefs, which include like value proposition statements, uh, figuring out a total addressable market that can be captured if the once the protocol progresses into more of a maturity state, looking at traction that they're currently doing and how that can be progressive, uh, looking at the team. Team's super important. I love investing in founders. Uh, one very recently was A0, which is uh, a huge layer one that actually just uh, went ahead and launched their mainnet and released their token. And I'm very invested in them and the team because the team is just very gigabrain people phds they have this research paper everything is is very professional kind of bringing into uh you know more of a r&d feature to layer ones and i think that's huge uh but moving forward you have you have like what i call the secret sauce which is like looking at what's so special comparatively to and what brings the competitive advantage comparatively to uh to competitors look at the business model you know what's the revenue streams what could it be later on are they actually making any revenue what's the monetization model um looking at growth milestones what are they doing later on what can they do can they hire more teams should they be uh, should they have certain things at a certain period? Like if they're aiming for mainnet next year, does that actually get done? Does that affect the fundamentals? And the big thing is also looking at the exit strategy. You know, when you're investing, you're not just holding for the rest of your life. You know, long-term investing can be five to 10 years, but you should always have an exit in mind. Um, and I think that's a big part that we kind of disregard in crypto is it's kind of looked down upon for dumping for whatever reason, especially on projects that maybe are at a lower market cap. But I think understanding and setting your own exit strategy is huge. And I tend to do that for for a lot of these projects, even if I have a long-term investment, whether I'm looking at possible exits in three to five years or it's based on certain market caps or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's kind of my whole model that I do now using more of a business acumen. And sometimes I tweet threads using analysis and opinions. So, you know, you can't really make them too long, but that's, uh, that's where my narrative or my, uh, my investment thesis has progressed from, from at least 2017 till now. Well, that's really nice. And that's, that's why we're doing the, the space here. So you can, uh, you can't write in a thread, but you can, you can have your voice heard and, uh, you know, the many listeners I'm sure appreciate that. Uh, so talk about the the evolution of you as an investor in crypto. Um, how did it start in the beginning? You said you were, you know, you were kind of, I think you said you were making like quick trades. It was kind of an emotional time. Uh, you didn't start with a lot of capital. 
but how has that evolved over the time? Uh, you know, is there a certain part of your portfolio that you allocate towards just quick trades? Uh, maybe it's, you know, meme coins or something like that. And then you've got, you know, a, a big part of your portfolio that's long-term investment. Uh, can you kind of break down your portfolio and the evolution of, of Max, I guess, as an investor uh, in crypto? Yeah, so I was like, I was very emotional back 2016, 2017, but having Bit Advisor Ethan there kind of helped me from being emotional and just selling. I, I just kind of was in a really hold mentality back 2017. I didn't really sell or buy anything. I had, I had Lend, I had ETH, I had Link. I ended up selling my Lend when the market crashed, and I held ETH and, and Link. And that was that was my mentality then. I didn't really have a lot of capital. I didn't really know what I was doing trading. So I felt like you know if I just learn and and hold this then uh you know and i keep my narrative as and strong conviction that i'll do well <laughs> you know luckily still holding that bag today it has done tremendously well comparatively to traditional markets and other investments that you could have made um now it's it's a lot more diversified seeing the the capital changes that i've uh, had the opportunity to have now it's i feel like it's a i have to think i feel like long-term investments right now it's it's maybe 20 to 25% of my portfolio. Um, I've kind of transitioned due to how the market structure really has changed. You know, 2017, we had a lot of really big alt seasons and fluctuations in, in different prices of, uh, of crypto. But now you're seeing that on a much more significant scale, I would say. You know, you're seeing volume kind of bounce and bounce and bounce. Uh, you know, back in 2020 era of uh, summer 2020, it was a lot of DeFi. Uniswap took over. Um, and we're seeing a ton of volume towards those DeFi protocols like, you know, like Yam or <laughs> in the farming models. Uh, and then we kind of slowly saw that progress towards more majors like Bitcoin, Ethereum took a big frontal stage. Same with same with Chainlink. Then 2021, you see the volume kind of switch over to BSC and then NFTs. And then now we're kind of in this like weird state of everything's kind of taking the stage depending on the protocol. And there's a lot more money in the space to make these things happen. So my investment thesis has changed right now to kind of chase the volume and just getting in these protocols early and trying to find conviction before the market can figure it out just because the money flow is so high. But more recently, I've actually become a lot more cash heavy, um, especially with a better economic background. I don't really like the way that the inflation talks are coming. Um, it's just becoming much more of a risk on market and it's hard to uh, to get myself to hold a ton of capital. I mean, I uh, I sold a ton back in May, actually, ended up buying a ton back in July and I was still cash heavy, but it's kind of pushed me into the realm of having more crypto than, than the amount of cash. And I wanted more cash right now. So I would say now I'm... I would, I'm probably 40% cash, 25% long-term, and then 35% left are just kind of various bags that, that either I'm uh, holding NFTs based on a narrative or holding a bag that I think can still pump in the current market conditions, but nothing to the point where I would hold for super long. I could even say that 30% is long-term. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to really deploy and tell you what like my what portfolio is looking like rather than just like telling you what my current plan of the market is is and that is get as much cash as i can in the next month or two or you know actually next 20 days or so and see what happens with the market i'm much more in a capital production mode than i am and trying to get quick gains and um i would rather miss out on another pump than 
risk uh, inflation or, or uh, rate rises with the with the tapering talks and COVID. It's it's kind of uh, much more risky for me to have more uh, investments compared to cash at the moment. Okay, so I mean, hearing you, you've given us a, a good idea of your thoughts on the upcoming you know period of time and and where we are from an, a macro standpoint. But speaking of the cash position that you're talking about, Max, I mean, when you say that you're in cash. Are you in stables? Are you using that stables? Uh, you know, are you doing participating in DeFi? Where would you put your cash position more specifically? Yeah, so I have I have a some allocation of stables. I actually would say I actually have more cash than stables at the moment. I'm talking like money in the bank, to be honest with you. And I know that's kind of looked weird upon, especially with inflation rising. It doesn't really make any sense. But my my position on that is the stables I have are actually in Celsius and some smaller DeFi protocols earning interest. Um, I have some longer term bags in DeFi protocol earning interest, kind of just yield farming with that. And that's uh, that's managing the inflation concerns on that standpoint. The rest of the cash is actually just sitting as liquidity um, for the traditional markets. I'm waiting for the housing market to potentially crash or get lower prices. I'm looking for uh, for any entrances and stocks. I want to kind of diversify outward and, and uh and get more assets outside of crypto because right now my portfolio really is just crypto and cash at the moment. So uh, more of a diversification standpoint than anything. I'm willing to kind of mitigate the inflation concerns just because of the amount of gains that I've re- realized in the past year or two. And also I have to start paying taxes. So um, owing, owing a lot of taxes starting in December, or starting in January, got to make sure I can pay those and have that situated. So a lot of it's it's half liquidity, half taxes. Uh, liquidity used to diversify outward, and then the rest of the stables stay in the market as uh, earning yield. Well, I appreciate those answers. I mean, it's interesting to hear that you're actually when you talk about being in cash, you're actually in U.S. dollars, strictly cash at a bank. Which uh, you know, coming from someone that is big into crypto, it's an interesting take. But I appreciate your ability to share that with everybody. Now, I want to quickly touch on this, and I'm amazed that we were able to do 20 minutes with you before even bringing up that you are Mr. Goodnight Future Billionaires. And so I want to get to to a little bit to understand when everybody is into saying good morning, and, and that seems to have really taken off. What kind of came to you that, to create Goodnight Future Billionaires? And are you going to do that forever? And also, then we can dive into the GM coin. Yeah, so Goodnight Future Billionaires, funny enough, kind of just came out of nowhere, I think, in back in March. And I really don't know where the where I derived myself to start doing that. But it, it, it became this kind of era of positivity, you know? And people started thanking me. And even in market downturns, you see that one tweet every night. And it, instead of just like, we're all going to make it, it more of just reminds people that there is long-term and longevity in the markets. And future is a big term to understand because we're all so short-term oriented at the moment. You're just kind of watching the market pump. You're seeing extraordinary, uh, extraordinary gains back to back it's like you just start to get this really short term orientation of like how you see money good night future billionaires illuminates on the topic that gains are not just made in the short term and staying alive in this market and having a positive tone to yourself and making sure that you can reach those milestones um, is a big part of it as well. So it's it's a lot of the the long term notion that we really are all going to make it. Maybe not in the short term, but there is a, there's a longevity to the markets if you play it right. I couldn't agree more. There's there's a lot of future uh, still ahead of us, especially with uh, crypto, and we're 
probably still in warmups, maybe in the first inning. It comes to um, real world adoption, whether it's uh, the financial sector or many, many other industries throughout the world. I did want to touch on one thing that you said uh, earlier. You said UNC. Do you live in North Carolina, Max? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Located in uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina at the moment. Oh, nice. Okay, so my family actually lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's funny. That's great. Yeah, beautiful place here. I'll tell you that. Oh, nice. Uh, well, I did. I did want to follow up with this. So, um, there's a, a lot of people, um, you know, pronounced people in the in the crypto industry that are very bullish uh, on Q1, possibly even Q2 of next year. What's your What's your take on crypto overall? And um, are you are you bullish? Uh, I know you're bullish, obviously, long term, but are you bullish more in the short term uh, in, you know, uh, following the pattern of, of the halvings that have taken place um, throughout history, like in uh, most recently, like the 2017 uh, parabolic rise in Bitcoin? Are you bullish in Q1 and Q2 specifically? I think that this question I'll allows us to really understand what the narrative is for each of us, right? If if I wasn't in the capital situation I am now, I would be forced to be more bullish and take on more risk for the possible gains. But everything's kind of based on our own narratives that we fail to see. So for me, it is easier for me to be bearish and wait for a validation point to enter to to put more cash in the markets rather than play this as like a fully risk scenario. So personally, I would rather have more cash at the moment just because of the macro risks that I'm talking about than actually sit here and, and risk a Q1 and Q2, even if it's based on fragments of the market that, uh, you know, it's based on the happening cycles that we've seen before and, and how this has happened in 2013 and 2017. I, it's hard for me to really take on the risk knowing that I'm risking a lot more than than what I could be, um, if that makes sense. So I would, I would rather protect my capital at this point and still have exposure in the markets than be all in like I used to be. You know, it all kind of depends on the person. If if I was, you know, it, it if I had a, a much lower capital that I could deploy, then I would probably be all in crypto and and playing for the uh, playing for the the same fractal to play out with with the Bitcoin and parabolic rises and all that. But you know, it being in a different part of my life, I would rather take on less risk, protect my capital, pay my taxes, still be exposed so I can still get the gains, but not fully exposed at that point. So, you know, am I bullish Q1, Q2? Personally, I'm not bearish, but I'm not super bullish. I would like to see what happens at the uh, at the end of December, how, how much money actually flows out of the market, how much people are realizing their taxes, you know, what the panic is, what the rate hikes are actually looking like, what's the COVID scenario actually looking like, what the media is saying. I mean, it's all kind of uh, up in the air situation, in my opinion. So, Am I going to re-enter if I feel like everything's a lot more bullish? Probably. Yeah, I'll probably put more more cash in the market than I have now. But at the moment, I would rather take a risk-off approach or uh, take take lower risk and uh, and wait to see th- more things confirmed rather than play uh, play into a more heavier risk scenario. I love the approach that you're able to share and appreciate it. No matter if you agree with someone's sentiment or not, you have a a really educated look at the way that you're deploying your situation and you talk. It's important to understand no matter who is investing in any sector, in any technology, in any space, that 
everyone is in a unique position. No one is in the exact same position as someone else, whether that's time, whether that's age, whether that's the amount. And so the way that you talk about this is very uh, important for people to just see that side of it as well. And I appreciate that. I, I mentioned before when we talked about you being Mr. Goodnight Future Billionaires and the, and the fact that you're a part of the GM coin, right? And so you are a crypto advisor for you know the GM coin, right? Can you talk about that project and how you became a crypto advisor and what that experience has been like for you? Yeah, so I actually started doing consulting for crypto projects back in, uh, I think, in the beginning of 2021. Um, and what that really entails is just using the business acumen and, and my crypto knowledge to try and help teams with their marketing, their operations, and of really all encompassing aspects of projects negotiations using my own personal connections so what that looks like is you know I, I have i have marketing background looking at target markets and how we can apply models to things much differently than just paying a celebrity to tweet something um, i can look at the operations of the project where are things going wrong where are the communication loopholes how can we organize this team better and use better communication to handle things and move forward how can we develop a better narratives you know it's it's all in, in understanding because these are basically businesses being run at the end of the day, no matter what the coin is, unless it's a scam, you do have a lot of behind the scenes things going on and things need to be organized accordingly. And I wouldn't say I'm perfect, but I do have much more of experience threshold and trade, uh, understanding traditional finance and traditional metrics for businesses, as well as the crypto atmosphere, atmosphere as well. So combining both of those into how we can make a project succeed, um, GM, uh, you know, I'm an, an advisor threshold there and doing a lot of work behind the scenes as far as what I was talking about, organizing marketing campaigns, doing the negotiations, exchanges. You know, it's hard to get on 16 exchanges in what is it, 21 days, but I was managing to do it by utilizing my own personal connections, leveraging who I know in the space and making sure that we can get deal flow with these uh, with these exchanges at the same time. And that, you know, that encompasses a lot of making sure that's a mutual business decision. You can't just expect exchanges to give. You have to make sure that you you're giving and creating this longevity relationship in place where GM and the exchange are both in this mutual partnership together. So they win when, when GM wins and it's, it's mutual in that aspect. So developing those business relationships is a big part of it. Uh, making sure there's there's a ton of people on board and really developing what this narrative uh, narrative actually is developing and, uh, and using my advice to get legal opinion and getting making sure that this is a fully regulated project and not something that's just going to disappear when regulation pops in. Um, it, it's kind of all encompassing, you know, it's not just one aspect. Um, sometimes I'll just do regular consulting gigs where I'll come in, hear about the project and provide some advice on how to move forward rather than being like fully immersed in this, in, into the project. But right now, I, you know, I'm, I'm helping in kind of a full capacity with GM, making sure a lot of things move forward, making sure everything's organized in those aspects and marketing strategies, operation strategies, kind of the, the whole shebang. So you're operating in full capacity with GM and you talked about sharing the narrative. So why don't you share the narrative with everybody in the audience right now listening so that people that don't know can know? Yeah, so GM is kind of this multicultural idea. Um, a lot of people have like meme coins. This is considered more of a, of a movement token. So um, if you look at GM, it kind of just means good morning based on uh, the Solana de developer who got uh, you know that 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 narrative was kind of the start. He uh, some there was like people who were getting upset that the whole NFT community was saying GM, and they were like becoming 
what people consider anti-GMers. And the Solana co-founder told said, uh, "I'll kill you," and then got banned from uh, from Twitter. So it created this whole like movement of people just tweeting hashtag GM to piss people off. And then this this movement was born. But it's much more than that. See, you know, GM is an ERC token twenty built on uh, on Ethereum. Um, it represents the collective goodwill of harnessing positive energy and kind of the good morning aspect, which is multicultural. Like every single person in the world will say good morning at some point. And it's really easy to look at these tokens and be like meme movement tokens. They don't, they don't really have any value. But the whole thing of this is flipping it on its head. So you start off with these higher taxes, which in turn turns into a capital raise. It's determined by regulators around the world. And the capital raise helps build a business that develops revenue. So these meme tokens, most of them just don't really do anything. Maybe they'll have some sort of utility like Floki. You can spend it, whatever. But the idea here is to use the token to build this entire community about that is multicultural and develop this whole group of people prior to having any revenue. And normally when you see capital raises, you see revenue and people building a customer base. Then they're using this really small customer base to say, you know, this is what we could do in the future. And then they get a bunch of money from VCs, right? Well, here you develop this community around this idea, and then you use this community as a sense of brand loyalty. So this token's valuation is based on the brand loyalty of people here. And then you use that brand loyalty and the people around the movement to start creating revenue revenue generating products. So you had a merch drop, we had an NFT drop, but that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg of what this could possibly do. You can build a whole brand around what good morning actually is. You can do coffee, you know, that's good for your good morning, anything like that. You've seen all these kind of lifestyle brands that are based around these movements, but they didn't develop the way that this did. So it's it's this weird notion of flipping a business on its head and getting this whole community around something and then using that to build a bunch of different revenue. And, you know, at the same time, it is an experiment and it is kind of playing off what meme and movement tokens are. But at the end of the day, if it succeeds, this becomes one of the new innovative ways that projects can secure funding without having to just give a bunch of money to VC or give a bunch of uh, equity to VCs. I think that's a big problem that we see in traditional finances. These VCs have early access as, as accredited investors and they get a shit ton of money and then everyone else kind of loses and then when they have an IPO you're buying what a VC is like 300x whatever it is but here you have the community who can get in early and then as this continually builds and what if it turns into something that's a multi-billion dollar corporation one day the VCs didn't get in early it was a community that started this and kind of developed this notion and it is kind of getting away from myself kind of you know looking the future like that and saying that you know what what is now a movement token could be a, a huge corporation later on but, you know, that's the whole idea of building a narrative and building a roadmap. And that that's kind of the plan around this is building something much bigger than what a meme or a movement token really is, but building a whole enterprise and brand around a community. That's a, that's a good point, Max. And I think that's just the um, kind of the nature of crypto in general, you know, the disrupting nature of, uh, you know, allowing anyone to kind of come in uh and be like their own vc be their own bank uh when it comes to DeFi, and um get in early and participate on uh you know whether it's an ico or an nft or or a project um when it's first taking off but max i, I want to keep it on the the topic of you being an advisor uh how did that come about and it was was it something that you sought after or you know did you did you start getting deeper into the crypto space and then some uh some people from projects started reaching out to you and asking different things like how did this um how did it start and what was the what was the first project you were an advisor on 
Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of non-public advising. Um, the first one, I, I couldn't even remember if I, if I had to think about it. Um, but the advising situation kind of came to fruition based on my just kind of answering questions for people. I ended up handing, like sitting in calls with, with helping projects I was invested in and, and using business acumen and different things I knew. And then I kind of realized, you know, this is, this is fun and this is more than what I'm doing in crypto right now. And I could kind of provide more value and actually have fun doing it for these projects that are building, uh, especially knowing that it's a lot of the uh, crypto spaces. Developers are really great math oriented, really smart people, but they lack the, uh, the actual business experience to run these run these tokens and businesses and what they actually are. So it really came from me just being there for projects I'm invested in and then realized that I could create kind of a business around this. Um, you know, I'm, I wouldn't really call myself a serial entrepreneur as, you know, just a failed business, failed business here and there. But, uh, you know, my, my head is very kind of focused on like, oh, you know, I can generate revenue doing this. So I started, you know, a smaller consulting service, nothing really super serious. This project reach out, I do mostly non-public. I think GM was actually one of the first public advising that I've done. I, I feel like maybe I did like a smaller public advising back in June for this launch pad that, that, you know, I didn't really take it super serious as they weren't really taking my advice. It, you know, it's, it was a whole situation, so I can't really count that. But other than the non-public advising I've done, GM is really the first one that I've, I've came out and said, you know, I'm behind this and I'm helping as much as I can. So it came from uh, from just people asking me questions. And then I was like, you know, I can I can help and I can provide value. Uh, Max, I want to jump back into the, the investment part of it. Um, and are there any specific... Um, trend lines, indicators, methods before you start to make make an investment? Like there's, you know, maybe there's some people in here that are sort of new to investing and, and a way to kind of remove that emotion out of it is to to look at the facts. Are there are there any things like that help you the most and and what are they? Yeah. So I don't really day trade or use technical analysis. I'm, I'm pretty weak when it comes to that. Um, and I know that's a good way to kind of remove emotion. You just kind of make trades based on actual uh, indicators on the market. I'm much more of a, a macro guy. So I made a decision to go mostly into cash back in the end of April, start of May, based on uh, fears of the Fed back in June. That was kind of my big indicator for me. And, and looking at um, what the uh, what the CPI data was talking about, the inflation, and I knew there was a lot of fears for investors. And it ended up kind of working out. Some of it really wasn't super oriented. Most of it was around the grayscale unlocks, which I kind of had in mind, but wasn't really a big factor in my decision. But uh, a lot of my decisions on like a short-term scale are based on macro and uh, economics and the you know how we can look at market cycles. As far as my way to move remove emotion from longer-term investments, uh, it's a lot of just research, narrative, conviction, right? So if I set, set my exit strategies and what I think the project could do later on and also not investing more than I can afford to lose, then there really isn't any emotion aside other than me looking at the project itself. You know, we're not looking at price action. Um, I don't really care what the price is for an investment. I don't plan to sell for three to five years. 
um, all that really matters is what the team's doing. So, um, you know, ERSDL is actually a really good example of this. The price action on that token sucks. It looks like a gigantic pump and dump. But if you actually look really inside of what the team is building, it's much more value than what the chart shows. So how do I remove emotion from that? It's, you know, the team is constantly providing updates. They're uh, they're providing town halls. They're building a regulatory manner of what, uh, of how to provide in DeFi, and you know the big thing is like, is the team still building? Are they going on the road of their road, or are they working towards their roadmap? You know, is is the tokenomics in place? The token being used later on, and applying all of these concepts without looking at the PA you don't really have any emotion at the end of the day. So, you know, that's kind of my big thing with actually investing is the price action doesn't matter. And all that matters is the team is building and it's reaching towards a goal of when you plan to sell. Obviously, the PA matters more if you had an investment that you plan to sell tomorrow. But, you know, the PA doesn't mean much if you're planning to sell in 2025. And I think that's that's the whole thing that I've had to wrap my head around as an investor um, for, for my longer term bags, at least. I love that you brought up ERSDL. So uh, you you continue to make really salient points, and it's it, there's a lot of uh, you could tell that the research side of you is important. I do want to know, Max, from you because we haven't really touched on NFTs, right? And you're very big on research. You've said from TradeFi to DeFi to crypto from when you started now five six years ago. What is your take sort of on what we've seen this year with NFTs, a completely new sort of asset class developing, and what do you look to for the future of NFTs? Honestly, I think NFTs are going to be absolutely huge in the coming years. It's really hard to look at valuation right now because a lot of it is really overvalued to what it actually is. But if you look at NFTs and how it combines with the blockchain, this is exactly the next movement they really needed. You're looking at how you could apply actual certificates of authenticity on the blockchain like rolex papers for example is how can you sell a rolex to someone on ebay when you could just forge the documents well now you have a fully non-fungible token on chain that is immutable and i think it's going to revolutionize how we deal with authenticity in the future and that's huge looking at the art space it's uh i think it provides a creative landscape for uh, for new artists to join um, and put their work online and sell it rather than, you know, maybe making hands on art and uh, having to go to like an art studio and sell it to like your local community or maybe you're in New York. And, you know, it's a much more of a tedious process for artists to be able to generate a living. Well, now they can use digital art landscape, upload their NFTs, become creators, build a community around their art, and they have access to the whole world of people, of anyone who knows what an NFT is or anyone who's looking for art. And collectors can come on and eventually be able to showcase their wallets on Twitter with new uh, new applications or whatever the social, new social media that people are using. And it's going to become this whole thing. I mean, we have saw it earlier with CSGO and the knives and everything. People would play CSGO, they'd buy a $1,000 knife, and it's to like showcase what they own to other players in the game. You're going to see that with art now. And you're going to see these artists who are able to make a lot more of a living. And you're going to see much more creative landscape comparatively to what we've ever seen in the last, you know, maybe 50 to 100 years, which is amazing. I think the profile pictures, implementing them into the metaverse uh, with with your characters is going to be huge. There is just so many surrounding use cases. It's just all being kind of 
drowned out by the idea of getting rich on an NFT that's that's making people kind of step away from this space. And it happens. I mean, we hit these bubbles of overvaluations, but that doesn't really take away from the value that can be provided of these NFTs. And you know, my advice to people who want to get into NFTs and buy things, I buy things that I think are cool rather than what I think can make me rich, right? So any art that I collect as NFTs, I just it, they're cool art and I want to hold them and maybe one day I can showcase them to the world just like how I have pictures and art in my own house and i think it's very similar to that on an art standpoint and you know the profile pictures or or you know i, I own habo avatars which is a habo hotel which is a game back in the 2000s they're creating a metaverse for the habo hotel and maybe one day i can go in the game and showcase my nfts as uh using them inside the game as an uh which which is absolutely crazy too you know we see it in like normal marketplaces which connect to your centralized wallet that you own like on steam but that Steam still kind of owns it, right? But now you yourself with your non-custodial wallet own all these things and can put it in different universes. It's absolutely wild. I love NFTs. Hugely bullish on them. Especially, but, but that's all in the long term, in my opinion. We just have to get away from the noise of the price action and what the valuations are so people can stop selling, calling it a scam and seeing you know, what is the primary use cases and what's going to come out as innovative in the next three to five years. So, you know, bullish, hugely bullish. Love NFTs. Love to hear it. Uh, okay. So we do have a uh, community question. They messaged me. So as the rise of DAOs continues... How do you see them playing out around certain organizations like owning a majority of the likes of Coinbase taking huge controls of DAOs to control their future? Yeah, so I'm not super versed on DAOs. I know it's, um, you know, it, it's basically dows in the future are going to be interesting i think that right now the primary use case isn't something that's super big um you know we see like nft dows where people all on the dow and the nft makes a thousand dollars in profit and then just sends it to everybody in the dow which is you know not super revolutionary at the moment i think the future you'll start to see more of uh more centralized organizations use dow to make people uh you know, a part of what they're doing, but I don't really have a full opinion that I could really speak about super knowledgeably. My, my research in Dallas is, is limited other than what I've seen that's being used at the moment. It definitely is something that I should probably look into and start developing a, a better, better uh, knowledge base around. So it, it's really hard for me to answer that question, unfortunately. No, that's fair. I mean, listen, you said it yourself. You're someone that does research that you aren't that well-versed in DAOs and there's nothing wrong with not knowing everything. No one does. And that frankly is a good point because I've had this feeling recently and specifically this year, the most, uh, the most feeling of that it's moving so fast, this industry that you can no longer actually keep up with every single thing. It's almost impossible, no matter who you are, how much research, how smart you are that this idea of not knowing something, everybody is going through it or feeling they're missing it uh, uh, or not understanding certain things. So just interesting that, thank you for the community question, the one that asked. And then I have a couple quick hitters, just answer them however you see fit. So what are you most bullish on? A lift zero. I like it. Choose one crypto for 2022. Chainlink. The DeFi protocol you are using most is? Ooh. I would consider Celsius DeFi to an extent, but probably Abe. And then finally, what about that same question, but for CeFi? Um, I mean, that's tough. 
I mean, Celsius is probably the closest CFI DeFi platform that I would I would have to answer with Celsius. That's that's primarily CFI with their funding rounds. That's almost essentially a blending of CFI DeFi the way that Celsius is sort of trending. But interesting to hear those. I think those are sort of helpful. Uh, so, Danny, do you have a question for Max? I've hit my quick hitters, and uh, I'm sure you have something. Uh, yeah, I do actually, Max. So um, let's say there's somebody that's, uh, you know, they've bought their crypto. They're a little bit of a newer investor um, and it's sitting on an exchange. What are your top three DeFi platforms that are tried and true that you trust to keep your coins? Yeah, um, Ave would probably be up there as one of the best. I used to say Compound, but not after the, all the mistakes that they've been through in the last year or two. Uh, you saw the liquidation events and everything. Uh, but outside of that question, anyway, Ave would probably be primary choice one. So tough. Number two, I would probably say Alchemex, if anyone's ever heard of that. ALCX, uh, they do they do loans that self-pay. Honestly, fucking surreal. Sorry, I mean to curse. I don't know if that's allowed in here. Uh, surreal concept. Um, number three, I would have to go with... I use this uh, this BSC one that's really, I wouldn't say it's tried and true, but it hasn't deterred me and it's been slowly building and I kind of know the people who, who started it who are uh, really smart in, in, uh, in traditional finance and kind of move to crypto. It's called Planet Finance, I believe, Planet Finance. It's, uh, it provides some good yields on BSC. I would, you know, obviously do your own research, not endorsement in any way. It's just kind of my, my like, uh, one of my higher APYs that I use that's kind of already went down by a lot. So I don't mind sharing at this point. Um, but, you know, the two for sure, I would say, are Ave and uh, Alchemex. We'd like to thank Max Scruffer and the community for a great conversation. To stay informed of upcoming conversations and receive our weekly newsletters, subscribe at investorly.substack.com. Investorly, invest early in yourself.